Welcome to the 11th episode of the Pure Football Podcast. Uh, this is the stories, people, stats and rumours about football in Scotland and beyond for fans by fans. Uh, I'm Owen Brown and I'm joined uh, by Gavin Miller. Uh, firstly today, just in case you've had your eyes slightly off the ball due to uh, the kind of combination of a holiday weekend and uh, great weather, we're going to start with a, a very quick kind of review of the weekend Scottish Premiership's um, results in action. So, Gavin, um, firstly, to kind of begin, what was, in your view, the kind of biggest result of the, the weekend in terms of the Scottish Premiership? Uh, for me, it has to be St Mirren's 3-1 win against Livingston. Um, mm. I think that result for St Mirren uh, pretty much secured them at least a playoff spot. Um, oh, really? I think that yeah. puts Dundee kind of adrift now. Yes, yeah. six, six points with four games to go behind. I can't see them turning that around. Um Okay. Yes, I think I think they're done, um, and I think that gives St Mirren at least the playoff spot. And a Hamilton, obviously, um, picking up the the point against Motherwell um, due to some horrific defending, <laughs> um, gave, gave them you know that that little bit of security as well. So, yeah, I think uh, Dundee are all but down. Okay. Uh, it would take some sort of miracle, I think, to keep them up. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. They're looking pretty adrift. Um, that was, yeah, you're right, shocking defending from Motherwell to allow the kind of equaliser for Hamilton. Um, but it's quite clear that St Mirren are kind of building a bit of momentum. There's a game between St Mirren and Hamilton um, not too far away. Actually, uh, incidentally, on my birthday, the 13th of May. Um, so shout out to me and St Mirren and <laughs> Hamilton <laughs> for that one. But I think that could be kind of quite a kind of key game there. Um, you, you're right, those were definitely kind of vital um, results. Uh, any of the other games that you kind of uh, watch bits of or, or yeah. kind of... yeah. Just be, just before we go on to the other games, do you think uh, you'll be able to talk your family into taking you to that game as a birthday treat? It's <laughs> <laughs> an idea. Um, Don, uh, she did say that I could kind of pick what we did that day. We're both taking it off, although it's a Monday. So um, yeah, I might spring that one on her. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, yeah. So um, birthday surprises for Owen. Mm. Um, yeah. So the other games, I actually, so I managed to watch. Um, both the Hearts Rangers game and the Hibs Celtic game uh, okay. at the weekend, so I managed to get a, a good intake and, and watch both those games in full. Um, what did you make of the the Hearts Rangers game first of all? I didn't understand. Well, from a a Hearts perspective, mm. they played completely into Rangers' hands. Um, they so tried they to tried to pass through the the kind of middle yeah, and stuff into midfield, and yeah, so it just maybe I one team not, you wouldn't want to do that against, and yeah, maybe yeah, Rangers. The, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, the limited passing capabilities, you know, of Christoph Berra, um, yeah, you know, the so it was like Rangers were allowing Hearts to try and play through them, and you've got uh, Bozanich and Lee were basically invisible, mm-hmm. um, and eventually they just so they were trying to play through the middle. Um, the first goal came from Hearts, you know, trying to play literally straight through the middle where Flanagan mm-hmm. makes a good tackle and Kamara's first time passed through to Defoe who made a good run mm-hmm. um, to finish um, but just the whole game they were just you know keep yeah. going straight into Jack and Kamara who you know you would probably say their biggest strengths is, is uh, you know winning the ball back uh, in the midfield and then you know passing forward um, so it, it just it didn't seem to, to work very well and then I thought once Hearts eventually started to try and be a bit more direct it became pretty easy for uh, Katic uh, against uh, Ekpiezu. I think um, at the by the point that Hearts had tried to adapt, you could see that the heads were down. So uh, that physical battle was just Katic was was doing really well. I thought, and uh, I thought he actually looked really impressive for Rangers as well, which is is good because um, he's obviously a young talent, uh, and I'd much rather see Rangers give minutes to a player like that than uh, Joe Worrell, who's obviously on loan. Um, because Rangers don't get any benefit from the Joe Worrell development or progression uh, in the long term, whereas they do if they give those minutes to Katic. Okay, sure. Um, um, how about the Hibs v Celtic game? What did you make of that one? Uh, I thought it was a great game. Um, for, for a nil-nil, it was a, it was a really good nil-nil. Mm. Um, I think Hibs under Heckenbottom have shown real um, real progression. And uh, I listened to Heckenbottom after the game, and the way he speaks uh, is just it's brilliant to listen to. And okay. He was he was talking about how he told his players before the game, um, he's okay if if Celtic play through uh, Hibs, he's okay with that. 
as long as they keep being aggressive and keep trying to win the ball back. And he, he said that uh, he understands that the quality Celtic have got, they're going to create chances, but it's up to his players to recycle the ball as, qu- as quickly as possible uh, and try and break forward uh, as quickly as possible and, um, you know, drive straight at Celtic. And I thought, you know, it was it was it's a fairly obvious strategy, but I, th- I thought from a, a player empowerment sort of point of view, if he's saying to his players, you know, it's okay that they're going to be able to, you know, break through you from time to time and, and actually give them that encouragement as long as when they have it, they try and be aggressive and direct and, and you know, put Celtic on the back foot. And I thought I thought uh, Omianga and Stephen Allen had fantastic games in the middle. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think I think he's he could build something really good there. And, um, Excellent. From a, from a Celtic point of view, I, I do worry about... Um, them under Lennon. I know there's there's some stats there to say that there's not much of a difference between um, him and Rodgers, but when you watch them actually play, so compared to uh, the DNA that Rodgers created of just trying to you know pass, keep the ball on the deck, move quickly, there seems to be this urgency to get out wide and cross balls into the box. And to me, even so, Edward's quite a big striker. That's not the game that he really wants to play. Sure. Um, and then I don't think that the the people, so it basically cuts out, you know, the the key strengths are like in charm and things like that because you're just going out wide rather than trying to play play your way through opposition. Um, so, um, yeah, it was it, it's interesting, but I do I don't I don't know if Lennon's going to be there next season just based on some of the performances. Okay, that um, that's really interesting. It makes a, a a lot of sense what what you were saying there. Um, interesting to hear about what Heckenbottom was saying. That's that's really refreshing. Um, and glad to hear. I, I didn't see this game in full. I just saw the highlights. Um, glad to hear that Omionga had a good game. He's, I think, somebody that you and I have kind of noted as um, a good player for a wee while now. Um, and also um, interesting to hear your take on um, the kind of Celtic situation with Lennon. Um, I think that there maybe has been some narratives out there about how Lennon's team are performing as well as Rodgers, but I'm a little bit unsure about, you know, whether the stats truly support that. Um, but that's perhaps something we can circle back down to in a, in a week or two when we look at um, Celtic in more detail. Um, so I also kind of wanted to mention Aberdeen. Um, I felt that, yeah, they were maybe helped out by not playing against a full complement of Kilmarnock players um, by the end of the match, at least. But it's pretty good, I guess, from their point of view to see them maintaining their form in the league um, after the cup semi-final defeat and kind of, you know, being secure in third and maybe looking like they're, you know, kind of um, going to be able to take that route into Europe. Um, anything else from the weekend's games that you, you do want to note at all? Uh, Steve Clark's rant about referees was absolutely hilarious. Um, yeah, I thought... Uh, when he he almost looked like he was going to burst into tears um, with the the red cards, and I know he could feel hard done by um, for maybe two out of the three. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just thought that uh, his 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 outburst was was pretty funny. Um, um, he he's starting to come across, and as much as I like Steve Clark as a manager, he's got great you know tactical uh, capability, but uh, he's starting to come across as a bit of a sore loser. Uh, from time to time with some of these rants that he's having um, and I don't know if that's maybe like a, a Mourinho style deflection mechanism mm. from his players or whatever um, and like the focus is on him rather than the team I don't know but um, yeah it's just it's getting a bit like um, come on it's it's okay to lose mm. um, but yeah um, from an Aberdeen point of view I think that all but secures third place for them as well I know there's still you know uh, some games to go and they've got you know, to play obviously the other teams in the running, but I just don't see Kilmarnock uh, or Hibs picking up enough points to to get that. Okay, because they've they've got to play the same amount of games and teams, obviously. Sure. Well, um, just to, to move on now, we've um, got a running order that's kind of more packed than the bottom half of the Scottish Championship, um, and we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but before we kind of kick off with our, our first section, which is about some kind of under-the-radar radar Scottish Premiership talent, I, I just thought it was important that we take a moment just to kind of pay tribute to Billy McNeil, who um, has passed away this week. So just to kind of say rest in peace to Billy McNeil and to, as I said, essentially pay tribute to somebody who's a, a giant of our game and you know his achievements give him, in my view... Footballing, sporting, cultural, and and overall kind of Scottish immortality. 
Um, it's very unlikely, um, in my view, to be anything similar to the Lisbon Lions again ever in Europe, let alone uh, in Scotland, you know, with a group of people who are all from such a close locality to their club um, going ascending to such a level. And um, yeah, it, it sounds from all the kind of tributes that we've kind of read this week that not only is he um, a special footballing man, just a, a special man in general. So um, yeah, rest rest in peace to um, Billy McNeil. Um, so to, to move on then, um, as we mentioned just there, the first section tonight is about some kind of under the radar um, Scottish Premiership talent. So certainly won't be people that you've not heard of, I would assume, if you're listening into this programme. But they might be people that maybe don't you know, have the headlines um, so often. Um, people that we particularly like this season um, for, for various reasons. So do you want to kick off, Gavin, and tell me who you've um, liked this season? Give me a player. Yeah. Yeah, so one of the first ones that uh, I mentioned to you was actually a Kilmarnock player, Greg Taylor, the left-back, young left-back. Um, I think uh, he's shown a lot of promise and uh, it was actually in the, I think it was the Toulon tournament where uh, I've seen probably the most minutes of him live. Um, he, he was playing and I thought he, he stood out really well. Looks like he's got uh, you know quite a cultured left foot, um, which is you know a bit of a want for a lot of clubs. Um and I think he's someone that just um, when you think of Kilmarnock, you you're not necessarily thinking of of Greg Taylor. You're you're probably thinking of you know Jordan Jones or Eamon Brophy, um, and, and obviously Malumbu as well. Um, but I think Taylor, um, he's someone that just flies under the radar, and he's got a lot of potential. One of the people that I think uh, Kilmarnock should really be looking to try and develop, and and you know an asset that they could sell on. So. I hope they're able to to maximise his potential. He was he was one that sort of stood out for me, and um, I know you were you were able to get a, a radar on him. So, um, what was your sort of take from the the Greg Taylor stats that you were able to pull? Uh, in terms of the stats, his um, kind of percentage in terms of the tackles he wins is really really good. Um, it looks as well like he does quite a high volume of tackles, um, even if you adjust for possession. So, given that Kilmarnock are maybe um, you know, relatively defensive at times. Um, even looking at it to adjust in that way, he gets through a high volume of passing uh, tackles. Um, he's also applying quite a lot of pressure to um opponents. So not necessarily the case that he's just sitting back completely in a kind of low block. He's he's been quite active. Um, and he looks to me as though he's pretty good in terms of um, you know, kind of what you might want from a relatively standard full back in terms of blocking crosses and things like that which I think is obviously oh, sorry often um, a kind of underappreciated um, but key skill for uh, a full back in this league so yeah um, I like the player too I mean he's what only 21 and he's played essentially a full season as kind of first choice full back for Kilmarnock this season so um, really quite promising player I think yeah yeah Totally agree. Totally agree. It was it was quite hard to. Th- I think I said to you when we were thinking of underrated players. I think because we look at teams and we look at players all the time and we watch you know as many games as we possibly can. People mm-hmm. maybe don't become underrated because you rate them, so it's hard to judge sure. what what do other people not see. Um, well, I think maybe then I've I've perhaps gone with some. I don't know. Maybe you would say some more obvious choices just to kind of balance that a wee bit so I'll give you one of mine who uh, you won't be surprised to hear is, is Glenn Kamara um, <laughs> so um, clearly not somebody that's completely under the radar given that he's now at Rangers but I just think he is still um, a really underappreciated player generally and we're going to see that um, that appreciation will come um, I think he's He's done brilliantly to start so well for Rangers. I think that was really key because I think coming into this team with Steven Gerrard being quite a um, a person that sets pretty high standards, has high expectations, and obviously with a crowd um, and a, a fan base that have high expectations as well, for somebody relatively young that's come in quite unheralded from just another club in the division as a free transfer, if he hadn't kind of hit the ground running, um, then he might have had to wait a while to get a second chance, I think. Um, yeah. But he's done brilliantly, absolutely incredibly. Um, I would say that he's taken what it looked like he could do based on his performances at Dundee. And it was really tough for him at times, I feel, in the half of the season when he was at Dundee because he, he was maybe pulled out to do firefighting for the fullbacks and stuff like that. It's maybe not his 
at best skill set. Um, but at Rangers, you're starting to see what he can really deliver, and, and I think he's showing that the potential that's there is going to be realised. So just to give a couple of quick stats, um, so he is top in the whole league for pressure regains per 90 minutes. Um, those are um, instances where um, your team wins the ball back within five seconds of you applying a pressure to an opponent. So you know he gets wow. the ball back for Rangers um, more than anybody else in the league. Um, he has um, the sixth highest pass completion rate in the league. He's the second highest for a midfielder. Pass completion is, you know, it, it, it's something that maybe is frowned on a little bit in terms of advanced stats now, given that quite often these stats are dominated by mid, by defenders who are maybe just knocking the ball to each other. And certainly there will be times when Kamara's maybe collecting the ball from a defender and then playing it straight back to the defender. So he, he's likely maybe to have a higher rate than a, a winger, but it's still interesting to see that he's immediately so high up. Um, and he um, has the, the highest um, percentage for uh, pass completion under pressure. So that's a slightly more advanced way of looking at that. So when there is pressure on him, he um, completes those passes to the highest percentage in the league against any other player in the league. Um, so he's very capable at keeping the ball. Um, we know that he's good at evading pressure. He wins a load of fouls for Rangers. He's, he's, he wins the second most fouls per 90 minutes in the whole league. Um, so he's very good at evading pr- pressure and, and, in effect, making sure that the other team don't end up having the ball or, or win it back. But we also saw that he can he can cut through defences like his pass for the Defoe um, goal against Hearts and you know his involvement in other opportunities against Hearts. So I, I really love the guy. I think he's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, um, I think so. He's yeah. I think uh, he's like I think your analysis there of him is absolutely spot on. I think he would have been someone that uh, had he not hit the ground running, he would have been you know on the bench and struggled to get back into the team. I think. Um, Gerard doesn't seem to be one to give a whole load of second chances uh, to players, um, especially if they don't have a certain type of profile. Um, so yeah, I think uh, Kamara's done fantastic. And hearing some of the stats there, I, I, I did rate him before uh, Rangers signed him, but it's just it's really impressive to hear that. I think one of the things that um, I think is maybe an underrated trait of Kamara, he's actually a lot stronger than his build yep. looks. But um, I think that's like... Um... Similar to, not to compare them directly, but to somebody like um, Moussa Dembele from Spurs. So Moussa Dembele has, or laterally the Chinese team that he's at now, he, he's more bulky, more obviously muscular, but Kamara has a similar sort of way that he can sort of shape people off and, and uh, you know, maybe is under direct pressure, but still wriggle out of it. Um, but what, what were you going to say about that though? Sorry. Yeah, yeah it was, as, it's just, it's just like, a, it seems to be he's really good at transferring his body weight. Mm. Um and and using his body weight to to its maximum uh, potential, opposed to you know having that physical raw strength, he's just it's sure. like um like almost just like sort of football IQ if if that makes sure. sense um, absolutely. So yeah, and especially I think in the Hearts game he showed that who and Hearts are obviously renowned as quite a physical team. Yep. Um. So yeah, I think he he he's been a really shrewd signing and one that I think Rangers fans can look forward to seeing more from. Cool. Have you got another player yeah. that you want to mention? Yeah, so uh, uh, a big fan of Daryl Horgan um, okay. at Hibs. Um, I think that, again, he's maybe not underrated, but I think at, at Hibs, obviously, Omeongas came in in January mm. and, and he's been great. Stevie Mallon's had a lot of plaudits. There's obviously Camberry and McNulty. Um, so I just thought Horgan's, you know, um, his contribution since joining Hibs, there's, he's really exciting to watch. And again, in the Celtic game, uh, Tormented Izagiri, which isn't difficult anymore, but um, he's still really direct. He's he's exciting to watch. He's scored some brilliant goals this season, um, and I think you know Hibs have got a fantastic player. If they can, if they can somehow work out a way to keep him, um, I think that'd be great for their their long term um, prospects under Heckenbottom. Um, and again, I know you you were able to get some some stats on Horgan. Are you able to just talk the listeners through his performances? Yeah, there's a couple of kind of standout things for Horgan, in fact. So Horgan has the second highest um, expected goals assisted uh, from open play uh, per 90 minutes in the league. So that's that's incredibly impressive, right? So he's higher than James Forrest. He's higher than Daniel Candias at making chances from open play for his uh, teammates. Good, high-quality chances, given that it's um, expected goals assisted. So that's really impressive. Um, he also gets the ball into the final third, Um 
to a high extent. So he's top in the whole league out with players that play for Celtic or Rangers for what's called deep progressions, which is bringing it into the final third by passing or dribbling it, however you manage to do that. Um, so I think that shows that not only does he look exciting when he's playing, um, you know, in terms of you know his directness and being able to beat people and stuff, he's really effective at getting the ball up the field and into dangerous areas and setting up chances. So I really rate him too. He's been a, a, an excellent um, player to have this season for Hibs, I think. Yeah, I yeah. think uh, I'll be... I'll be- Difficult, I'd imagine, for Hibs to keep a hold of him. But if they can somehow make it work, I don't know if, um, you know, if they get some money from John McGinn being sold or something like that, or mm-hmm. Valigan promoted. I'd like to see them, you know, try and keep Horgan if possible. Yep. Um, now, um, just to to, to uh, have you got any other ones? Uh, no, no, that's to... fine. That's fine. On you go. Okay. So I've got. Um... One more, we'll say. Um, another midfielder. So um, the other person that I wanted to pick out is um, somebody that's maybe been slightly overshadowed at his club. Um, so uh, at Motherwell, um, all the plaudits, well, some of the plaudits have been for Jake Hasty, quite rightly, um, and in midfield for Campbell, but particularly Turnbull, who kind of walked away from their recent um, awards night with essentially every awards going um, under his, yeah. uh, his arms. Um, but the person I want to pick out is another midfielder, the third midfielder in a kind of trio there. It's Goran. Um, so I think that Motherwell have now quite a nice midfield in the way that each kind of player, Goran, Campbell, Turnbull, kind of perform a, a specific role. Um, it's quite well set out what they do. But I've been really impressed by Warren. I think he has gone a wee bit under the radar in general as to um, what he gives the team. Um, he's on, as far as I'm aware, a one-year deal that expires this summer. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, whether they can perhaps keep him and build on this midfield and, and keep those three together. Um, but here's some detail about what he does. So um, Goran... Um, he makes the, the most interceptions and tackles um, per 90 minutes in the league. Um, he makes the most aggressive actions in the league per 90. So those that's things like tackles and interceptions, but also things like pressing and, and pressure gains and stuff of that sort. Um, and even if you adjust for possession, he's still really high. So he makes the most possession-adjusted interceptions in the league. He makes the most um, possession-adjusted tackles out with... Um, the old firm in the league, and he makes the second most um, behind our friend Glenn Kamara pressure regains in the league. Um, so I think he's been a really, really key figure for Motherwell um, throughout the season, and um, maybe somebody who's uh, influenced and importance in a kind of slightly less glamorous role has gone a wee bit unnoticed, but I really like him. Have you you watched him a bit? Do you, do you like yeah, him? Yeah, yeah. I think he, he's a really really good player, and he's obviously he's been linked by a lot of teams in the English Championship. I think it's Blackburn, Wigan, uh, and Millwall have all scouted him. But I'd love to see him stay in Scotland, whether that's with Motherwell or maybe Aberdeen could look at him if if they lose Shinny, which is looking likely. Sure. Um, I think he'd he'd probably do a similar sort of role uh, for Aberdeen, um, and you might be able to you know give Lewis Ferguson a bit more. Of a leash, if Goran's going to do more of the, the sweeping up. Um, I do have a question for you though. Okay. Do you have a, a, an affinity to the Makalele esque players? <laughs> um, <laughs> midfielders and fullbacks, yeah, they're they're my people, particularly midfielders. That <laughs> if you've got a midfielder that does, uh, you know, both sides of the ball, somebody that can do the dirty work, but maybe is a good passer, a bit of technique as well, um, then that's my guy. And certainly the same probably goes for fullbacks, right? Because they're kind of multifunctional these days. So I just like people who can do a bit of more than one thing, uh, I, I guess, to a high level. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> what about you? What's your favourite type of player position-wise? Yeah, I, I think position-wise, uh, I'm going to say left wingers, okay. specifically left wingers. Um, so jo- Johnny just, Hayes and... Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That was the name that I was about to mention. <laughs> um, I'm glad that you. What is it about left wingers specifically that you like? Then I think there, I think there's just something about. Uh, I mentioned on last week's pod that uh, Pavel Nedved was one of my favourite players growing up. Okay. Um, he sort of played on both sides, but um, I think because I was left footed when I played, mm. um, didn't have great hair like Pavel Nedved, but. Um, yeah, I don't know what it is. It's okay. just something I've always liked. But if you were a left-footed winger now, you might play on the right and be, you know, 
one of these hi- hi- hybrid yeah. wing strikers and you know get all, all your goals and stuff a la Jake Hasty. Um, but yep. <laughs> uh, anyway that's that's interesting so it's left wingers <laughs> for you and full backs and kind of um, two way midfielders for me good um, we can make a pretty good team out of this so you five aside um, so just before we move on to the next section I've got one more player who I wanted to give a kind of quick shout out to in terms of an under um, under the radar player um, that's Ethan Erhon. Um he is a left sided player maybe you know not as far forward as a left winger but could certainly play as a full back or kind of wing back in behind you if you wanted um, I really like Erhon. Um I think he's He's very, very young, um, so he's 17 and, you know, in a difficult um, situation playing for a team that's relegation threatened, that's had a huge um, kind of turnover of players, um, but I think he's he's really developed well throughout the season. Uh, he's pretty good, in my view, at um, applying pressure, at tackling, um, and uh, yeah, definitely somebody to look out for. The reason why I partly mention him is that we're going to be going on to talking about Livingston now, their kind of feature club this week. And I thought it was quite interesting that the the Livingston sending off at the weekend of Halkett, which definitely had a huge impact on the game, which St. Mirren went on to win 3-1. Um, that sending off was in partly um, a good encapsulation of what Erhan um, can bring to the table. If, if you have a watch of the, the highlights of the clip, um the, the the goal that sorry the the sending off itself well a player gets away from Halkett and you kind of cuts him down as the last man but if you pull back a wee bit to the start of that move um, Erhon applies <clears throat> some pressure on opposition player and um, basically St Mirren win it shortly after that it's a kind of pressure regain situation and then the ball is played back to Erhon um, who's found a wee bit of space and he plays an attempt to pass the ball through the lines and then it's kind of knocked on um, past Halkett. So good little clip, I think, of what he can bring to the table. Um, but I mainly mention that to um, be able to move us on now to Livingston. <laughs> um, so you want to give me your, your kind of thoughts on how Livingston have been this situation, uh, this season rather, Gavin? Yeah, yeah. so I think the their season's been night and day overall. Um Obviously, they they first came in with Kenny Miller in charge, and and they looked fairly okay under Kenny Miller. And then, obviously, he decided to leave when he was effectively asked to stop putting himself up front, <laughs> um, which I think we can all agree is a wise bit of you know advice for Kenny Miller. Um, and uh, yeah, Livingston, you know, they, I think they put, caught everyone um, off guard. I think people didn't expect them to be as well drilled and. As well organised, and I think a lot of credit has to go to their um, the structure they've got in place because it's almost like the manager is the moving part, whereas everything else is consistent. Um, David Martindale remained assistant manager, um, and he was there under Hopkins. He was there under well Kenny Miller's brief reign, and he was he's still there with um, Gary Holt mm. now. Um, so so yeah, I think first of all, yeah, they caught people off guard. I think um, they're definitely a team where. Um, you know, like they they are able to get a hundred percent out of everyone, and I think the fact that they're back, sort of three um, of Lithgow, Halkett, and uh, Gallagher, um, because they've been playing together since League One, pretty much they've got a really solid partnership together, sure. um, and and they encourage teams to get into a physical battle with them. They try and, you know, um, I'm thinking back to the game where they beat Rangers one um, nil. Mm-hmm. Rangers, you know, tried to play through them, tried to play it on the deck. But as the game went on, the more and more Rangers were being lured into, you know, the, the niggly fouls and the, the long balls and all that that just suits Livingston's style. Mm. And we also seen them do it against Celtic sure. um, at the Spaghetti Hat. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think, you know, they deserve a lot of credit for the their efforts this year. Um, their second half of the season, it's almost, I think it feels like the foots came off the gas a bit since um, they're all but secure. You know, secured survival, um, which is obviously they've they've massively uh, overachieved against what their expectations would have been. I would imagine. Um, I, I think they probably um, thought just you know be competitive as a start, but they've been able to do that in such a way to secure uh, league status. And yeah, that's my sort of take on them. Is there any sort of thoughts that you have on Levy overall? Hey. Yeah, I, I think they've been absolutely incredible. So um, they've essentially guaranteed themselves ninth, ninth position. 
they could even leapfrog Motherwell. Um, incidentally, they play each other on the very last game of the season, so that would be something to look out for. Um, I think that... Um, so, to go through some of the results that they've had, just because I think these are worth shouting out, because they are incredible. So, they won at home versus Hibs. They had a draw away to Hearts. They had a win at home versus Rangers, as you mentioned. Um, they had a, a 4 0 win over Dundee. Um, they drew at home with Celtic. They had that 5 0 win at home versus Hearts. They had a win at home event against Kilmarnock. They had a draw away against Hearts. They um, also had draws away against Aberdeen and Celtic. Um, and that's all after back to back promotions to get them from League One to the Scottish Premiership. I just think that is unbelievable. And they deserve so much credit for doing that. Um, yeah, so. so Great work to them. I think that um, some of the things that we, we kind of maybe touched on, so you asked me earlier about worries for next season, and what I was thinking, we'll, we'll come to some of the squad-related things, but what, what I was considering is that um, it's maybe perceived that Livingston have the type of setup that might be designed or inclined to maybe help them get results against the top six, the, the more possession-dominant teams. Um rather than against the, the bottom teams. Um, perhaps these last few games in the league this season, in the split, they might be a good learning experience for Livingston in terms of you know if they want to solidify and be a mid-table club next season, then perhaps this is an opportunity to learn how to play slightly differently um, and kind of vary things and dominate against poor opposition. And I'm by no means saying that they're not capable of that. They do, I mean, certainly... As you described, they're very capable at um, you know going direct and, and inviting the physical battle, and they have a good, strong, clear identity. But they, they can play some really nice passing stuff at times. They've scored some brilliant goals, made some great chances. Um, so it's not as though they can't do that, but it might just be interesting to see if they can do that for a, a kind of full match and, and kind of vary that slightly. So that, that would be kind of my overall take. Just to give, I guess, a few bits and pieces of some statistical detail as well before we talk about kind of um, their players and next season and so on. Um, so in terms of um, Livingston, um, they um, we kind of know that they're pretty good at set pieces. So they are... Um, really good at generating XG from set pieces. Um, they have, um, I think they've scored about 10 goals from set pieces in the league this season, which is pretty incredible. Um, so well played to them for that. Um, they're also really good at kind of uh, limiting, um, I would say, counter-attacking shots and clear shots for the opposition. Um, they um, limit the XG against them from set pieces, as you might expect as well. Um, and they are... Know, really kind of show up as pretty aggressive team. I think that um, some things that they might want to look at is although they've kind of scored the same amount as you would expect them to, having looked at their expected goals, certainly there could be the hope that they might try and generate some more open play chances um, through the end of the season and, and certainly next season. So that might be a kind of work on for them. But really, really impressive. Um, and just in relation to what you were saying there about perhaps... Um, the kind of latter half of the season and, and you know whether they'd slightly kind of switched off or, or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced that that's the case. I mean, I do appreciate there have maybe been some uh, results. I, I guess there was a kind of run um, from late December through January where they had a tough time. But, uh, I mean, they've still had some, some reasonable results lately, um, you know, in, in, in some ways. And I think also having listened to their after-the-match interviews um, against St Mirren and the defeat just at the weekend, um, it, it's quite clear that the signing off had a major impact on the result in that match. But also from what the players were saying, they still sounded pretty motivated to me. They were clear that they were targeting getting up um, you know, in the, the split section towards seventh. Um, so I, I, I don't know if I would say that there's been a kind of major change I think they're still going for it and still kind of motivated and so on but anyway to, to kind of move on um, from our kind of detail about how it's been this season do you have any kind of thoughts about what, what's coming next for them? I do worry about them for next year um, it, it took me about 45 takes to try and get that question out to you earlier but um, 
Yeah, I think uh, losing Craig Halkett, who's the captain, is a huge blow. Um, he's also scored six goals, and I think he's you know one of their main set piece threats. He's their second highest goal scorer yeah. in the league. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah. So to lose him, uh, Declan Gallagher um, as yep. well, who's joined Motherwell, I think mm. those two have been absolute rocks for them. Um, yep. And to create a new centre back uh, partnership will be really difficult. Uh, I know mm. they've got a limited budget. Um, mm. I do wonder whether a smart move for them might to be to try and actually cash in on Liam Kelly if possible, uh, and that might seem a bit backwards in terms of your thinking, but. I wonder if they'll be able to improve their overall squad um, by getting a, a decent sized transfer fee for Kelly when he's at his probably peak value um, from Livingston. Um, and I'm not sure. That's just I, I just worry about the recruitment overall. How they're go- how they're going to do that um, with such a limited budget. Um, sure. So I, I just wonder whether it's a smarter move to to sell you know a key a- asset on and see if you can you know take in someone that could potentially. Um, you know, do something similar. Maybe look at someone like Ross Doohan, who's been on loan at Air um, from Celtic. Um, he's he's got the most clean sheets, I think, in in the Scottish Championship. So I wonder if that's something they they look at. I, I'm just not sure. And obviously, there's uh, Scott Pittman could be going away. Uh, Ryan Hardy's loan's going to end. So yeah, they've got a lot of, a lot of needs. Um, and with that limited budget, it does worry me. I think yeah, clearly they they um are going to need some reinforcement of a quality you know level at centre back, and you would presume that they're going to need something up front. They need uh, some goal scorer. I um well, I'm not too sure. I understand entirely what you're thinking in terms of they may need some money to finance those things, but I think to lose Kelly as well as Halkett and Gallagher that would really up. That would worry me. That kind of upheaval in that one zone before next season. So I'm I'm not too sure about that, but um, I, I do get your thinking. Um, any thoughts on centre backs? I, I know that they've got so they've got um, is it uh, Adolphin? Adolphin, who, yeah. who can play centre back as well, and they've got Hank Van Shake who'll be rejoining from a kind of loan spell, I guess, for next season. Um, are there any other centre backs that you can think of that they might be? Um... Uh, I guess that there's a there's the obvious that you could look at the you know the old firm what could be available for Rangers and Celtic or on loan deals. Um, shout out to my boy Robbie Dees. Um, <laughs> I've got him noted down. Yeah. Gav will say this name <laughs> for um, that section. Um, and I absolutely will. Um, yeah, so Robbie sure. Dees. Um, I think if if Celtic want to see if he's capable or not for the Scottish Premiership, then Livingston's probably a, a good outfit in terms of. Of drilling them and uh, getting them to do the basics right first at a decent level. Um, sure, he's got a good profile in terms of his um, performances for Scotland. Um, it's a big jump, obviously, going from League Two to to the Premiership. But we've already seen that Halkett, Lithgow, um, and Gallagher can all do go from League One to the Premiership. So m- maybe there there is is that in there. Um, sure, that's a good shout. Um, um, I was thinking that if St Mirren ended up going down Popescu at St Mirren. I've really liked him um, since he's been in. So that might be an option if that's somebody that they could try and get. Um, What about, uh, well, at the other end of the park, we know that they've got Lyndon Dykes coming, um, who we've been really impressed by, um, both of us, when we've kind of seen him in person and also just from the um, number of assists that he's, I mean, obviously Stephen Doby is, uh, going to help by converting most of your passes, even if those are passes forty yards from goal. But um, we've we really liked him. But I don't think maybe either of us see him as being the kind of goal scoring centre forward that they no. might want. But certainly somebody that can maybe fit into their style quite well. You know, very mobile, good in the air, aggressive, well built. Um, so I'm I'm excited to see how he does. Do yeah, yeah. In terms of his profile, I think when we we went to see Queen of the South and Partick Thistle, we were both really impressed with his contribution um, hmm. like you said he, in terms of profile he's, it seems like the right sort of fit as well um, Livy will probably get the best out of him and, and he'll probably get the best out of Livy whereas if he goes to someone I'm not too sure that if he went to say for example Hearts or or Hibs that he would be able to you know be hmm. the sort of player that will comfortably take the ball in at feet and, and make that split and pass he's more of he's, 
he's a he's a sort of awkward um, player to describe. He's like a he plays the ten position, but he plays it the way that sort of Stephen Naismith does. It's very much like physical and um, you know flick ons and uh, you know. I think that's a good comparison. Actually, I'd not thought of that, but yeah, that's kind of uh, yeah, really um, good comparison. So yeah, I think uh, in terms of getting a striker, and uh, I put to you, I'm not sure if they'll be able to do it or not, but. Um, Maybe they could persuade Shankland um, into mm. you know going to the Premiership. I'm sure he'll have uh, a whole bunch of options, but he's going to be available on a free. Why not? You know, say to him, "We'll we'll let you be our main guy," and, and you know, give him a really incentivized contract. Mm. Um, that and he he knows he's going to be the number one starter, and also for for Livy, it's the sort of player where he becomes an asset as well because if he does well, he's got sell on value. All that sort of stuff, but again, I'm not sure how realistic that move would actually be. Um, okay. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, or just Dolly Menga as the Uchi Ekpiezu to um, <laughs> Lyndon Dykes, Stephen Naismith. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that that's that's kind of some detail about um, Livingston from this season and next season, and not to kind of end this section on too much of a um, doom laden tone because I, I know you know have flagged up maybe some concerns about things the other kind of thing I was thinking about was if Steve Clark um, left Kilmarnock for somewhere else, um, Scotland or, or otherwise um, as a manager this summer then perhaps Holt could be somebody that Kilmarnock could look at um, as a replacement there do, do you think that's a possibility at all? Absolutely, I think he'll be the number one target if Clark goes, um, oh, which is looking more and more likely. Um, Holt seems to fit the same sort of style in terms of quite pragmatic, um, yeah. and he's obviously an ex-Kelly player as well. So in terms of yeah. fit, that would probably you know be a good hmm. move for the fans if Livingston gets some compensation for them. As I sort of mentioned earlier, their structure in place looks like you know losing the manager is probably not as big a deal as it is for a lot of other clubs. Um, because they seem to have a lot of focus on, you know, the rest of the, the coaching staff, which were all there before. Sure. So I, I wonder if they can, you know, make a smart appointment again. Uh, David I, Hopkins, free. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, in, well, <laughs> yeah. He, he knows the club. Um, yeah. So, uh, but okay. Well, that that's a good point you make about the um, what we can assume to be the case in terms of the club being in um, a good position um, in terms of their backroom, regardless of who the manager is, perhaps. Um, but great, that was um good discussion about Livingston. Um, so to kind of, um, yeah, from, from a team that recently came up from the Scottish Championship, um, we're going to now take a look at um, who could go down from the Scottish Championship. So this is just an incredible league at the moment, um, as we kind of touched on at the top of the show, uh, in terms of the relegation fight. So in, in the Scottish Championship, there are... Well, I don't know. You could sort of say there's six teams in a battle, so from fifth to tenth, um, separated by six points with two games to play. Um, but there's just three points separating the teams from fifth to ninth for that playoff spot that the ninth place team will land in. So it's just incredible, so tight. Um, and there was a pretty key result this week when uh, Thistle. Um, Partick Thistle managed to beat Ayr. Um, those two teams actually meet again this weekend, but um, in Firhill at this time, and there are loads and loads of really exciting games coming up. Um, so, what what's your kind of thoughts on that league and and the kind of situation as it is at the moment, Gavin? First of all, I think it's it's actually a bit of a shame that there's not as much content available from this uh, division um, or this league. Sorry. Um, Considering the you know the story, like you said, six points between tenth and fifth is just insane. Uh, three points between ninth and fifth, um, it's it's pretty much unheard of, um, especially in Scotland. Um, so yeah, the fact that there's so many things that could happen and there's so many you know tosses and turns. Falkirk were on a good run, then they lost form and put themselves back into it. Alloa went on a winning streak and then they lose one game and it drags them right back into the. <laughs> The you know the, the ninth, uh, play- ninth. Yeah. they'd won like three in a row or something and now they're in ninth again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, so, carry on. Yeah, getting so, excited uh, by this. No, it's a <laughs> uh, yeah. F- it was yeah. Just check there. Four wins for Allah. Then they lost the game and drags them back into ninth. Four wins and then yeah. lose one and you're into ninth. <laughs> Insane. Yeah. Um, but the drama is incredible and uh, you know, Partick Thistle getting that fantastic win against Air, um, which. 
I put on Twitter that Air, uh, I know we're talking about the relegation, but Air have picked up 15 points out of the last 45 available. Uh, the slump for them is incredible considering where they were at this, the first half of the season. Air, Air have uh, lost as many games now as Greenock have. And Greenock are in seventh. They're, Greenock are two points above Alloa, who are in ninth. And, and Air wow. have lost as many games as them over the course of the season. So yeah, wow. uh, it, it's just, what a league. There's like so many things you could say about everybody. Um, it's amazing. Um just to quickly run through some fixtures, so there, there, as I mentioned, there are some incredible fixtures coming up. So on Friday, um, Ross County, who are you know on, looking great, um, host Queen of the South. Um, then on Sunday, uh, Dundee United host Falkirk. Can I pick those out as really, really key matches in, in my view? Um, because obviously Ross County and Dundee United are um, do, doing excellently and Queen of the South and Falkirk are deep in the kind of relegation battle. In fact, Falkirk have that game against Dundee United and then they have Ross County um, in their final match. So there's just two games left for each team in this division. So uh, pretty difficult um, for them. And then um, in one of the final fixtures, which is on the 4th of May, Queen of the South host Partick Thistle, which I think might be quite a, a key match as well for the the kind of playoff place. So um, wow. some some incredible games. Have you you got a prediction for me, Gavin, as to who's going who's to, gone down? Yeah. Oh, uh, I think Falkirk's running uh, yeah. puts them down. Um, Dundee United, Ray McKinnon, the Falkirk manager, used to manage Dundee United. Mm. Um, then went to Greenock Morton, left Greenock Morton for Falkirk. Mm. Um, so he's. I think he's one of the most hated people in that division. <laughs> um, and yeah, I don't know if you remember, I don't know if you've seen it or not, the game against Queen of the South where Falkirk scored a really late goal mm. um, and the, the fans ran onto the pitch um, against Queen of the South and it allowed for uh, enough extra time for yep. um, Queen of the South to score in the 96th minute. Spectacular. So, <laughs> um, how much could the, you know, the fans' excitement actually could have caused Falkirk to go down because if they win that game obviously they're on what 37 points so they're only a point behind each sure with two games to go so uh, and obviously Queen of the South would have in fact Queen of the South would have dropped a point as well so mm. yeah they would have been the same amount of points as Queen of the South um, so yeah I'm saying Falkirk go down and I'm going to say Alwa in the playoffs um, I like Alwa. I think you know the fact that they're part time um, you know that and they're able to be as competitive as they have been. I think Jim Goodwin deserves a lot of credit. Um, tough fixture against Inverness and Ayr, who will both be wanting to go into the playoffs with momentum. Um, so I think that, yeah, they'll probably... That'll be my bottom two, the two that are there just now. Okay. What about you? Any different thoughts? Um, yeah, so I... Uh, again, I think Jim Goodwin has done really well at Alawa. Um My personal view is that teams in that league really should be full-time. I... I I'm kind of pro professionalization and you know players being able to um, be footballers full time and being paid for what it is that they do. But that's that's a slightly side issue. Um, <laughs> despite that, um, I kind of think that based on their achievements, Alwa could and should stay in the league. And I think that Queen of the South are going to drop down to ninth, and it will be um, them and Falkirk that will be um, the, the bottom two. Um, but I think Queen of the South will stay up in the playoff. That's my take. Um, I th- yeah, yeah. I think my my sort of quick take mm. to add to that is whoever finishes in the playoff position will stay up. Whether it's Alwa, Queen of the South, okay. Morton, or whoever it be, I think they'll be good enough to get past mm. um, whoever it is from League One. Cool. Um, All right. Need to st- start taking notes of what we said in these things so that we can, uh, <laughs> <laughs> if appropriate, uh, yeah, come back and, and remind you of what you said. <laughs> so uh, to kind of move on now, uh, in fact, let's let's drop down another level. So we're going to drop down from the championship to uh, international football and specifically <laughs> Scotland. <laughs> so um, yeah, Alex McLeish is gone. Um Big Ek is no more, uh, the Scotland manager at least. Um, so we're going to have our quick kind of takes on the um, bookies' favourites to replace him. Um, some of our shouts as to who should be on that list. Um, so yeah, do, do you want to kick me off, Gavin, with a kind of run through of who you've seen mentioned um, as kind of favourites in the media or bookmakers for the job and, and what your kind of thoughts are for them? 
Yeah, but just before I do that, I just mm. want to have a quick take um, on sure, like the Alex McLeish sympathy bandwagon that happened. I thought that was that was hilarious. The same people that were uh, ostracising him and wanting him out of the job for his his management abilities, all of a sudden starting feeling really sorry for him that he was was there out of a job. Was there some sort of like Twitter kind of app that people are using that automatically corrected the start of their tweets to? He's a good man. Because it seemed like every tweet I read that related to Alex McLeish had to reference the fact that he's a good man. Um, yeah. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> but, yeah, I know. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not caring about his characteristics as a person. I'm caring about his characteristics as a football manager. Um, and they just weren't good enough. We got the, the most embarrassing result our country's probably ever seen. Worse than anything under Barry Votes. Um, you know, the Kazakhstan game that nobody wants to speak about. Um, so yeah, I just thought it was worth calling that out. Um, the same people that essentially would um, say that it's an absolute honour and privilege for a footballer to play for their country, and that anybody that whoever ever refuses a call up because they're mildly injured or because they couldn't play on a plastic pitch um, should be hung, drawn, and quartered, were in effect saying that Alex McLeish should be praised just for taking a job. You know, because you know well, that, that was my kind of take on what what some people were. You know that he was forced into taking this and you know um so anyway getting a wee bit sidetracked but yeah. sure give me um uh, yeah your your thoughts yeah. yeah so uh scott gemmel is currently the favorite to get the scotland job i put mm. out a tweet earlier on uh, and i'll just quickly recap it once i find it because i've spoke so much nonsense um yeah so scott gemmel 22 games in charge of the scotland under 21s he's won six drawn five lost 11 Okay. We've got beat off Macedonia and we've got draws to Latvia, Andorra and Togo. Um, we did have a fantastic two-on tournament, which was fair enough. We beat France and, you know, um, we've done well in that. But that's an invitational tournament. You don't have to qualify for it. When we've had to qualify for it, we drew with Andorra and we drew with Latvia. H- had we won those games, we could have qualified for a tournament. So to keep that in mind, Andorra and Latvia that doesn't inspire me enough to say that he's the man to take over Alex McLeish's mantle unless you want the same output. Sure. And do you know who watched the Andorra game? I did. (laughs) (laughs) So I I know what that was like. Um, Yeah, those are interesting kind of details from you. Thanks for the kind of win rate and all that kind of stuff. And also the kind of importance of understanding the context of what those wins were and, you know, the fact that Toulon tournament's invitational and so on. I think that... um, some of the noise around Scott Gemmel is um, kind of lazy. Um, so in principle, um, I kind of obviously like the idea of looking for somebody that's younger and maybe involved in um, you know the kind of youth side of things. But I think this is just kind of tick the box, wanting to be seen as progressive. Um, perhaps seeing that something in terms of Southgate has sort of worked for England, although sort of, uh, I'm going to stress that quite heavily. Um, I think if you maybe ask some people, um, Southgate has been blessed by having a sensational group of players, some generational talents for England there. I am not entirely convinced, and I think other people aren't entirely convinced, that you know he's not maybe been a net positive for them. Um, they, they really should have got to the World Cup final, I would have said, based on their group. They've, they've had some great results, but I, th- I think in many ways those results are down to the players. The things I do like about Southgate is his kind of character, his ability to speak about the kind of racist incidents that they've had, his ability to kind of knit the group together and perhaps make um, maybe English people feel connected to the team. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that Gemmo has that, um, having you know watched interviews with him and, and seen how he is on the sideline and stuff. Not entirely sure that the personality is there for a role such as this, um, but in in terms of the play itself, I've I've watched multiple under twenty one Scotland games under his management, and I'm not convinced that he's some sort of skilled coach. Um, I'm not convinced that the things that I would want from an international manager are present. Um, he's you know cheap and he ticks a boxes, attempting you know in in some people's view to be progressive. But I'm I'm not sold on this one at all. No, I, I totally agree. Um, people can reference uh, we we beat Holland in Holland. Uh, if you watch that back, we were, Robbie McCrory had the game of his life, um, and 
This is scoreboard journalism in a part where people are just looking at results and they've not watched the games. You know, yep. they're, they're, they're seeing a result on Wikipedia or whatever or seeing that they've um, that we won the Toulon tournament, but I've not actually watched the games. I, I watched all the Toulon tournament and there was some really good individual performances. Mikey Johnston and Oliver Burke ran wild at times and Billy Gilmore was, was fantastic. But a lot of our play was centred around getting it up in the air to Fraser Hornby um, at centre forward and then him kind of you know shielding it and knocking off for people. The defensive structure was not good. Um, there, there were quite a lot of elements in terms of progressing the ball. So I, I think this is a real danger when people just look at results. Um, and clearly, of course, you want results, but you need to understand that um, there's processes there's things that get you repeatable results. You, you can't just point to results in the past and automatically assume that those are going to get you results in the future. Um, there's a exactly. lot of luck and, and a lot of circumstances involved in these things. Um, exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. I think you, you you can have your Holland 2-1 <clears> victory <throat> against 10 men Holland where our keepers played out his skin. Yeah. Um, but then you also have the same team that drew one each with Andorra. Exactly, so. you can't be selective about that. Yeah, and we scored like a last-minute equaliser against Andorra. It wasn't like <laughs> it wasn't like we were you know dominant and were unlucky in terms of you know I, I don't have access to it, but for instance, if you had a look at the XG or whatever, or even the shots and stuff for that game, um, there's highlights out there. If you didn't manage to see the whole game, or you can't find a way online to get a download of the whole game there's highlights on YouTube go and watch them and have a look at the way we were playing and, and you know and it's not all at the, the manager's feet obviously um, but you know it's it's not encouraging to see things like that in my view um, anyway let's, let's, have, have we have we officially ruled him out of the running Gavin? Uh, I think we have whether okay. the Scottish FA or not has and that's a different question okay. uh, I'm just going to do a really quick exercise on yes or no on names um, okay. Steve Clark, yes or no? Uh, yeah, I, I would I would take Clark, but I think he's likely to say no. Yeah, I, I agree, and I also think if you take Clark, it's actually a short term option. I think I think he's a two year max before he'd want to get back into club management. Um, Billich, I don't know. Um, I think Billich is kind of interesting to me. So uh, he's a socialist. He's a rock musician. He's a lawyer. Um, so there's some things about him that appeal to me. In terms of his football management, <laughs> um, um, uh, I think that the the huge success he had with Croatia, it's quite difficult, I think, to separate that from the fact that it was his own nation. They had sensational players during that period, um, and it was quite a wee while ago now. So that we're talking like kind of uh, seven-ish years ago or so that some of that was. So I'm not convinced that's transferable. He did have some good moments for West Ham, um, but towards the end and then after that I'm, I'm not sure so I would I want to interview him for sure uh, be keen to do that but in terms of uh, I'm, I'm undecided there yeah I, I think there's there's risks with Billich I think he'd be an expensive option and uh, if it doesn't work out that could cost us quite a lot of money um, David Moyes not for me, no. I, I just think it would be uninspiring. I don't like his football. Certainly very experienced and potentially would be a steady hand. But again, I don't think the personality is there really um, in terms of what we might need to sort of inspire the fans and the players. Um, and I'm not convinced that the management is something that would be, I mean, in terms of the coaching and tactics and so on, um, is something that I would be happy with. He hasn't been good for a long time. Um, I think that's important to re- to remember for for people when they think about David Moyes. So Gordon Strachan back again. No, we'll just leave it at that. Malky Mackay. Uh, can I read out some of Malky Mackay's texts? <laughs> okay. So I'm still. Uh, I will never not hold these against Malky Mackay. Just so everybody's clear. And if he becomes the manager then my support of Scotland will be changed for forever. Um, so Mal- Malky Mackay has texted things such as, um, when looking at a list of suggested transfer targets, not many white faces amongst that lot, but worth considering. Um, when talking about signing a Korean player, Kim Bo Kyung, he said, fucking chinkies, fuck it, there's enough dogs in Cardiff for us all to go around. Um, when he spoke about a Jewish football agent called Phil Smith, he said, go on, fat Phil, Nothing like a Jew that sees money slipping through his fingers. Um, when he spoke about one football player's female agent, uh, he said, I hope she's looking after your needs. I bet you'd love a bounce on her falsies. 
And when he spoke about a member of staff at a rival club, he said he's a snake, a gay snake, not to be trusted. So he's homophobic, anti-Semitic, racist and sexist. It's a no from me. Yeah, I think it's a no from everyone in Scotland. Um, Yeah, well, I think the less said about Malcolm Mackay, the better. Uh, So to move on to Derek McInnes. Um, I'm not, I think we spoke about this one before. Um, I think if there were very few other options, I'd be interested. I would certainly interview him. Um, you know, I think he's a reasonable candidate. I'm not too sure about tactically how that would work at international football with you know the, the kind of style that he plays. Um, but you know, certainly, I guess given our our situation, might be something you'd you'd consider interviewing. So just before we move on to our our sort of maybe our own mm. shouts, uh, the one final name on the on the bookies list to talk about Sam Allardyce. It's an absolute no for me. <laughs> I think that would be a disgrace. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't want that either. Um, so yeah, uh, Owen, is there anyone that sticks out in your mind who you'd like to see maybe interviewed or take the job? Um, yeah, some quick names for me. So um, Pablo Machine, who um, managed Girona and then Sevilla. Um, he's a very organised kind of manager. Has um, At least with Girona, he um, kind of overperformed expectations, maybe got more out of a group than what you might expect. Um, he did get dismissed by Sevilla this season. But if you look at the stats, he, he was a wee bit unfortunate in my view. He was actually um, underperforming expected goals difference and, and things might have come good for him if he'd been allowed to continue. Um, so that's one guy I like. Um, maybe uh, Tedesco, who managed Schalke. Um, so, you know, in his first season with them, they finished second in the Bundesliga, which is pretty incredible. Um, this season, yeah, they did have some heavy defeats and they were pretty low. But again, they underperformed the expected goals and, and I kind of like some of the things he did. Um, these two are both out of a job, so they'd be free um, in terms of uh, you know compensation and things like that. Um, and you know possibly might be something that they would consider doing. Um, the other kind of curveball, I guess, would be Mikel Arteta. So um, a wee bit of a Scottish connection there, given his time at Rangers. Um, he's learning from the absolute best. Um, but I think that one's very, very unlikely. But, you know, you could still put your feelers out. Um, what, what about you, anybody you're kind of keen on? Uh, yeah, so I think I mentioned it before for the, the Celtic job. Uh, my love affair with Philip Koku. <laughs> um, I'd like to see him uh, given a, an opportunity. I think, I don't know whether he would be interested or not, but in terms of hypotheticals, he took PSV to their first title in seven years. He worked uh, with the hall in the backroom staff uh, with Louis van Hal, um, so he'll, he'll have an understanding of international football. But most importantly, he has a fantastic track record of winning, um, and I think that's a, an important mentality as well. Um, when you've got people for such a short period of time, I think you want to give them that self-belief, and I think that's something that he might be able to do. Um, he also was instrumental in the development of Memphis Depay before he was sold to Man United, and he uh, also, you know, started to uh, bleed in uh, Steven, uh, sorry, Steve Bergwin okay. as well um, for PSV, and I think that's. Um, I'm, I know that the expectation is the same with international players, but we've got quite a young group, um, so I think that would be important to have someone that's got um, a bit of a background and and developing those younger players as sure. well. I think that's um, a really good shout. I'd also go ahead. Um, and yeah, I was just going to say. So he had a bit of a terrible time at Turkey um, with Fenerbahce. Um, so I think his stock is probably quite low okay. just now. So in so in terms of Scotland making an approach, uh, I think now would be the best possible time. And I think as well, if if you said to a lot of Scotland fans that we've got, you know, however many capped former Holland international Philip Cuckoo leading us, here's what he done with PSV. Etc. Etc. I think you you could you could build a buzz pretty quickly. Mm. Um, yeah, so I think that'd be a good fit. And uh, I mentioned before as well, uh, Oscar Garcia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we spoke about that a while yep. back. Uh, and again, it just fits into that he's out of a job. He was at Olympiacos, had a bit of a, a poor poor spell there. Fell out with the chairman. So will he want something that's um, fairly steady? Um, and something that's going to ease him back into management where he can rebuild his stock pretty, mm. pretty easily because we are pretty much our lowest ebb when it in terms of uh, you know the re- results recently. So it can't really get worse. 
yeah, I guess that's you, you can potentially sell this as a positive opportunity to people like that who perhaps want to put themselves back in the ascendancy. I mean, the expectations are low, um, and the upside is is really high if you know people could get us to a tournament and um, the, the, the fan base, the media and so on would be incredibly inspired. Um, I think just to finally, finally touch on an wee aspect of that, um, I think there's maybe still a little bit of reticency uh, around having a, a foreign manager for the national team, maybe a hangover still from the Bertie Vox days, although that was a long time ago. Um, something to reflect on is that um, in the Scottish Premiership, there, there are no managers from outside the UK um, and in the SPFL overall, there's only um, there's two managers from the Republic of Ireland, and there's then Jonathan Johansson from Finland, and that's it in terms of any sort of managerial diversity. And I really think that that's um, potentially hurting us in terms of bringing some more kind of progressive ideas and um, a bit of variety to our game. And it would be good if perhaps the Scotland national team could take a lead from that. We need somebody who's a quality experience coach. Somebody that's charismatic with a strong personality that can coach as well with getting kind of smart edges and so on. And, and I think it would be really good if we could open our eyes um, to looking at some candidates a little bit further afield than just who's the under-21 coach or who's the performance director at the moment. Um, so some really good suggestions yeah. there for kind of people for um, us to maybe consider. Um, and just kind of before we go, uh, I guess um, to, to kind of wrap up, some really big fixtures this weekend. So we, we spoke about the championship. Um, in the Scottish Premiership, I think it could be a really big weekend for Hibs. Um, they could potentially be five points off third place with just three games to go. And, and their final game of the season is at home to Aberdeen. Um, we also kind of touched on St Mirren, kind of building momentum up to that game with Hamilton on, on the 13th of May. And Dundee um, potentially... Um, falling adrift so their game away to Motherwell this weekend on uh, Saturday is absolutely massive for them so a lot of very exciting games to look out for um, thanks again to NMD who has listened um, this is the Pure Football Podcast if you would like to you can follow um, us on Twitter at Pure Football um, you can also leave a review subscribe leave a rating on iTunes or whatever podcast mechanism you use to listen to us um, and do please you know, if you have enjoyed the show let us know, give us any feedback, tell a friend uh, about the show. Um, thanks again for, for listening. Anything you want to say before we go, Gavin? Uh, just thank you to everyone so far that's left reviews on iTunes and, and given us a rating. It, it helps us grow the podcast, so um, that means a lot. Um, and yeah, just thank you to everyone for their continued support. Great. We'll speak to you next week. Bye-bye.